Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowater from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A reading from Revelation. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. A Gospel reading from the 13th chapter of John. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. For this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Well, grace and peace to you, my siblings in Christ. Uh, Some great words in that song, but actually, I want to talk about love. The word love, oh, it's found 39 times in the Gospel of John. 75 times in all of the Gospels together, 261 times in the New Testament, and 686 times altogether in the Bible. Thanks to the book of Psalms, that contributed another 157. You know, I was counseling a a soldier this past week, and one of the things that she was lamenting to me was how her family was very judgy of her. She talked about how her upbringing and how Jesus was often used as a a tool of manipulation to defend and justify morality positions to her. And it got her really struggling and and wondering, like, why would someone do that? Uh, As if Jesus couldn't possibly love somebody who had a different belief system or a different uh, way of looking at the world than, than ourselves. And I thought it was just a really strange way for that loved one of her to show her love. Uh, it, it felt like, you know, okay, here's an example. It's, it's kind of like the sorting hat at Hogwarts, right? As if the sorting hat only placed on this person's mom was like, okay, uh, if you're on this and you've got the sorting hat and you're into this where you're only in the good house, but there's only like a few seats available in the good house as if God's love is not expansive and big, but only a few people have a reservation. Uh, when I think about God's love, I think about it as being the bigness. Like love, loving God means that we love others. And loving others means that we love Jesus. And loving Jesus means that we need to understand that there's something at stake here. Uh, what, 
what Jesus is telling us, especially in this gospel from, uh, from John that we just heard, there's this very profound understanding of what Jesus wants to leave with his disciples before he's about to die. He's about to get crucified. This is the night he's betrayed. So he's not just sharing a message of hope. He's sharing a message of giving the disciples something. There's something that he's given away. He's not giving away anger. He's not giving away fear, even in the face of what he's about to face. He's also not giving them money or possessions or, you know, earthly treasures. He's given them love. This is his gift. And so he says, just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. So count on us as humans to keep making that more complicated than it needs to be. Like, another friend of mine showed, um, shared with me a devotion, and it was related to this passage. Uh, and the person who wrote the devotion wrote, uh, the new commandment given to the disciples anticipates that they're going to be disoriented after Jesus dies. And so he's given them a key to reorient life after he's gone. Love each other. Seems so simple, right? Love isn't just for their own good, though it's going to certainly help them through all these tough times. But he's telling them to love one another as an act of witness so that people can know that Jesus lives on. And then she said this. This is how she concludes it. In the Easter season, our good news of Jesus' resurrection changes everything. And yet, Jesus isn't like physically there or here. That commandment of love is actually given to the disciples then before his death, and it's communicated to us after his resurrection. And it comes to us as the commandment that can help us through our own profound disorientation. That love is more than our command. It's our inheritance. Have you ever thought about that? Like love is actually given to us as an inheritance? What does inheritance mean, right? It means that we've been given something of value, something that we get to keep as a legacy item, something that we then maybe are able to keep and then give for generations to come. We pass this on as it's been passed on to us. Are there strings attached? No. Does belonging to Jesus mean that as a disciple that we also inherit a load of shame and guilt and fear? That's not what Jesus is wanting from us, although some Christians would tell you that. I keep wondering, where in, the, where in the Bible does Jesus lord it over his disciples that that's what they're supposed to feel? Doesn't Jesus time and time again show them forgiveness and mercy and kindness? Well, maybe that song does make it into this sermon. And love. So what do we give then in return? How do we give? That's where I think we're getting called into this inheritance. It's this amazing gift. It's like a stock that is foolproof. Like when you invest in this, it's only going to grow exponentially. It doesn't go into the tank if the economy is bad. It doesn't evaporate when there's a war in Ukraine. It's one of those things that no matter what's taken place in the world, it's a gift that multiplies when we give it away. How can something grow when we lose it? The gift is we don't lose it. When we give it, we still have it. When we give love away, it only will compound and the interest keeps growing and growing and growing and it spreads all over the place. So what does that love look like? Well, I think it starts with a deep look inside of our hearts. A deep look 
in here because I think we all have a different outlook on the world. And is our heart pointed outward? Are our hearts willing to be vulnerable? And are our hearts willing to be broken, knowing that Christ is going to be there to put those pieces back together? Because as much as we throw that love word around as if it's this easy thing to do, it's not. Love is hard. But loving our neighbors isn't about making sure that we've convinced them to be just like us. Loving others means that we love our neighbor no matter who they are. No matter how they are. No matter how God created them. So love more. Love all. Love better. Because Jesus loves you. This I know. But Jesus also loves your neighbor. So isn't that call perhaps then that we need to love our neighbors too? Amen. I know, you're like, what? He's done already? I've just started my nap. That's at least what it was like at 9 o'clock, okay? I saw a few heads snap. They're like, wait a minute. I'm going to be able to get to go fishing a lot sooner. Here's the deal. About a week and a half ago, the bishop reached out to me. And she said, look, for the Synod Assembly, which was this past Friday, Saturday, she's like, we have this capital campaign that uh, it's called the Planning Hope Campaign. We're raising $2.75 million for the next three years. And she said, look, John, I, I would really love it if you could help us. You know, that family feud thing, that was great. Could you do something like that for the Synod Assembly? I'm like, um, next week, okay, I, I got it. Uh, I, I started to think about it, and I was like, you know, this is great. I, I, I would love to help you. She's like, I need an eight-minute video. I'm like, a what? Oh, that changes things. So you're, you're reaching out to me because you want something a little bit more creative, and, and you came, you're asking me to do this? I know, crazy, right? So I said, look, I can't help you. Sorry, Bishop Lull, I can't help you. However, have you considered trying out this great detective that I've worked with in the past? And so I said, you need to hire a detective who can get to the bottom of this. And so... The life of a private eye isn't always exciting. Sometimes there are downtimes. Sounds like today's not one of those days. Uh, hello? Yes, this is Detective Terry Portland. Oh, hello, Bishop Lull. You left me a file. Okay, what do you want me to do? Look down. Oh, yes, here it is. The Planting Hope campaign. Uh, find out who's behind it, where the money's going. Will do. You can count on me, Bish. I can call you Bish, right? No? No. Of, of course not, Bishop Lull. It'll never happen again. Uh, when do you need your answers? Seven minutes. Yikes. Nope, no, that's not a problem at all. Synchronize watches now. <sighs> where to even begin? Hmm. Let's see. Let's see if any of these leads can bear fruit. I didn't have much to go on because I don't read emails, open mail, and in general, I don't actively listen. 
But something told me this Planting Hope campaign was just what the St. Paul Area Synod needed to plant hope. But how would that plant get watered? What would the harvest look like? And why do I keep asking these metaphorical questions about planting? Ooh, look, is that a garden gnome? Are you Justin Grimm? I am, how can I help you? Well, I'm Detective Terry Portland and I'm investigating this Planting Hope Capital Campaign. Heard of it? I have indeed. Isn't it great? The St. Paul Area Synod is raising $2.75 million over the next three years to support four major initiatives. Well, aren't you the smarty pants expert on things? How do you know all of that? Well, it's printed right there on that document that you're carrying around. Have you even read it? I asked the questions around here, and no, I have not. So what do you know about it? Well, you see, I work hand-in-hand with congregations in our synod to help invite neighbors into the life of Christ. Oh, I see. Inviting others? You mean like actually talking to other people about their faith? That's exactly what this goal is about. We're raising $150,000 for congregational grants and training for lay or rostered leaders to learn new ways to talk about their faith. Create adult faith formation. Tell others about God's grace. We want to be known as an invitational church. Why do you think all that's going to work? Come on. Because the more we talk about where we see God in the world, the more we can share the hope that is Christ in a world that so often feels broken and sad and hopeless. We have good news. And we know that our neighbors are exhausted. They're worn down. And we want to help change the world through our service. Change the world, you say? How can being invited into church change the world? You've obviously never met a mission developer before, have you? No. I'm Detective Terry Portland. Do you know where I could find a mission developer? Oh, that's me. I'm Pastor Liz. Wait, you are a mission developer? Yes. What did you expect? Uh, hard hats, bulldozers, mud on your boots, and cement stains on your flannel shirt. Well, mission developers do like to get their hands dirty, but usually because we are out serving our community with our church. So you're not developing buildings. We are developing people. We are building the body of Christ, brick by brick. Oh, like in Planting Hope, so branch by branch. That is a really cool visual. It is, but it's not always easy. With $700,000, we can plant hope for new generations of ELCA Lutherans in St. Paul. So you're only helping create new churches? Not exactly. The Planting Hope campaign helps support Mission Start congregations, but it also revitalizes older congregations looking for energy and creativity to go out into their neighborhoods. Now, I drive by a lot of churches. Some are pretty big and some are not so big. I'm guessing that this is just for those smaller churches. Actually, all churches can benefit from leaders who look to bring vitality to stewardship, spiritual gifts, and collaborating with others. And where exactly do these leaders come from who are helping these congregations? You should talk to Deacon Krista Lind. She knows all about that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're Deacon Krista Lind? That's me. What can you tell me then about these leaders who are going to be guiding churches and mission starts in St. Paul? With all the hope being planted, leaders must be sprouting up all over the place. We have great leaders in our synod that we support and nurture in their discernment, but... Mm, There's always a but. Our Planting Hope campaign wants to intentionally invite more leaders, especially from communities of color and diverse cultures, into discernment. Well, how are you going to do that? 
The $700,000 from the campaign will provide paid internships for vocational formation and more learning experiences through mission-focused traveling to visit our global companions. What about current leaders? A lot of our leaders are carrying debt from their seminary experience. We want to help ease those burdens, too, so leaders can be engaged in ministry and not worried about if they can continue to afford serving in our wonderful congregations. There's that serving word again. Everyone keeps mentioning serving. What exactly is that? Uh, you guys running some sort of a tennis camp? Not that kind of serving. Here, talk to this guy. He'll help you figure it out. Hmm. Thank you. Uh, are you this man? Yeah, that's me. I'm Pastor John Herlinger. Hey, I know a Pastor John. Great name. <laughs> Thanks, but how can I help you? Well, I've been learning all about this Planning Hope campaign. It's going to help invite others to follow Jesus, mm -hmm. renew congregations, mm -hmm. and raise up new leaders. But I keep hearing about serving, and apparently it's not about a tennis camp. So how is this campaign going to help others serve? I'm so glad you asked. The last part of the campaign is targeted on the east side of St. Paul. Well, what about the other sides? The other sides and the other parts of the synod certainly have needs. This part of the campaign, though, is focused on an identified neighbor in the east side community that we can serve and make a difference. We are raising $1 million for the east side community and the Families Together Preschool. Our ELCA congregations are working with Lutheran Social Services of Minnesota to provide focused preschool, especially with kids who face challenges or trauma. That's inspiring. And collaborative. Do the Minnesota Viking coaches know about this plan? <laughs> Service in action. I love it. Uh, it is. This is what it means to be the church. All of the campaign areas are focused on how we can address the needs of our communities. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. You've been very hopeful. <clears throat> I mean, helpful. Well, thank you. Yeah. Wow. What a day. That's been the most eventful eight minutes of my life. Hmm. Martin Luther Bobblehead? Uh, hello? Oh, hi, Bishop Lull. Yes, indeed, I did. What an incredible campaign, filled with so much hope, so many opportunities for the church to make a difference in serving our communities in the world. I am convinced that anyone who hears about this is going to support the mission, and they'll be inspired to plant hope in their congregations, too. Uh, in, in fact, Bishop, I, I've also <clears throat> got a little bit of a marketing background. You want to hear a couple ideas? Uh, the campaign will definitely take root. Each of the branches will spring others into service. Uh, how about this? No, no, no. How about this one? God's church will be flowering with abundant blooms. Uh, what's that? Your nope, nope. The consultants don't need help on marketing. Okay, understood. Bishop, Bishop. This has been another case closed. I'm, I just love this campaign, though. So it was really fun for me to be able to, to help them collaborate with uh, this message. And so if you'd like to be part of this, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about it as well. Uh, as a congregation, we're hoping to raise $30,000 to contribute to this. 
if we go over that, that'd be phenomenal. Uh, we've got the next three years where we're going to be uh, sharing and talking about this, and so you'll learn about each of those pieces the next few weeks uh, as we culminate with this in, uh, by the beginning of June, we're, we're going to have a special guest from the Synod who's going to come talk about this on the Sunday of Pentecost. And so if you, if you do like uh, this campaign, you want to be part of it, you can put Planting Hope in your memo, either on checks or on, online, and we'll make sure it gets to where it needs to go. Well, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you for joining us. Look for more information on faithfl.org or certainly reach out to the office if you would like to receive weekly email updates. Thank you.